that one of the best things and most important things um, in a church is for everybody in the church to use their gifts and talents for the Lord. And um, the more opportunities we have to serve, the more opportunities you have to use your talents and gifts. We're going to dismiss the boys and girls to their um, classes, and you can meet Miss Linda in the back or Mr. Dell in the back if you're going, and uh, you can be on your way for that. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 13. But again, I encourage anyone that may want to sing to do it, um, even if you don't think you're very good at it. You still should use your talents and gifts for the Lord in any way, or shape, or form, and um, that is an awesome, awesome part. And that is one of my favorite Christmas songs, um, O Holy Night, and um, it's got a lot of great words to it about Jesus. A lot of the world loves Christmas, don't they? And I, I think they love a lot of the, what goes on on Christmas because of the love, right? They they love the aspect that they can get gifts and they can feel loved by getting gifts. They can feel loved by giving gifts. They get to see the smiles on children's faces and on other people's faces. They can honor each other by giving them um, different gifts. Uh, they, they love the festivities, the, color, the, the lights. They love the, um, the scenes in the windows. It reminds them of a better time. It reminds them of peace. It reminds them of happiness it reminds them of all of those things and none of those things are wrong you can enjoy all of those different things about it but one of the heartbreaking aspects about that is that they love the christmas festivities because of the representation of love and heartwarming feel good emotions about it but if they would just realize christ they would see real love real gift giving real sacrifice but the world likes to either circumvent or exclude christ out of it and i'm not saying they're even doing it on purpose but so much better than santa claus and so much better than gift giving even from parents to kids or kids to parents is the gift that god gave us in his son john 3 16 you know the verse well probably for god so loved the world think about this for a second for god so loved the world who the entire world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That means that God loved us so insanely that he was willing to send his son from heaven to earth to die for us who were sinners. But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Those are verses we hear all the time, but I don't want you to lose the significance and the impact of those verses. God commendeth, or God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, God knew everything about us and still died for us, still loved us, still said we were worth it in all of that, even though we weren't. That's what love is. Christmas time, people can exchange presents even to people that may have done them wrong. Maybe even people they don't even like that much, they can exchange those gifts, and that's a nice act of love. But nothing is more of an impact of love than God sending His Son for you and I. Not the deserving, not the good, not the religious, but the sinners like you and I. And it's on that aspect that I want you to grab hold of this area of love as we look at John 13. Let's pray and then we'll look at this. Father, once again, we come now needing you to open up our eyes. Father, I pray that we'd get a glimpse of how much you love us, that we might love one another. Father, we can show forth a fleshly love. 
we can showcase a love for those that love us. But Father, we're not asked to do that. We're asked to love one another as you have loved us. So may we get a glimpse of how much you loved us. May we, may we be able to rationalize it. May we be able to comprehend it a little bit that we might be able to apply this. And Father, all the feel-good emotions that may accompany the holiday season, may that accompany us as we focus to worship you today. That there's no greater gift given than your only begotten Son, your only Son to die in our place. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand that. You'd help us to apply it. And, Father, if there's anyone here who's never received the sweet, wonderful gift of Jesus as Savior, I pray that today would be that day. And, Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to John 13. Now, John 13 is actually not even close to being a Christmas passage. It's a passage the night before Jesus is going to die. And so Jesus knows he's going to die tomorrow in the morning through the afternoon, right through that early parts. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows that he's going to be tortured. He knows that he is going to be accounted as a, a sinner, a criminal, though he's not committed a crime, not committed a single sin. And he knows this. I don't know if you've ever understood this about the cross. But the Bible says that of all for all the shame that would be put upon him you know the feeling you have when you sin and you feel horrible about it and you don't want anyone to know about it and you're thinking man that was horrible 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 jesus took upon him all the shame of all of our sins at that time that is incredible besides the physical torturous pain besides the fact when jesus and the father and the father turned back and he said my, my god my god why hast thou forsaken me this is the night before that Jesus, full well knowing what is going to happen, his disciples, they can't get through their head what's going on. They're arguing about who, God, Jesus, when you get into the kingdom, who's going to be the greatest? That's what they're arguing about. That's what they're thinking about. His disciples, they've been, they've been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. And the only thing they can start talking about on the night when this dinner starts is just... Peter's like, just let John and James know who's really going to be the greatest. And he's thinking it's him. And John's like, you've got to be crazy, man. You, you almost drown in the water. You, you, you're, you're the you're big mouth. I'm going to be the greatest. And they're all kind of bickering about that. You know what Jesus does? And I think you know the story. And we're not, we're not preaching on that part of John 13, but I'll mention it. It's at that moment that Jesus gets on his, feet, uh, on his knees and begins to wash the disciples' feet. That was a picture of what a servant would do, a slave would do. The, the Greek word is doulos. It's translated servant, but it literally means slave. It would be the house slave, or the house servant. And Jesus got the king of kings, the Lord of lords, about to be crucified. His disciples are bickering about who's the greatest. And he gets on his knees and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Peter's like, you can't do this. No. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, I can have nothing to do with you. And then Peter, in Peter-like fashion, says, okay, then wash my whole body. And Jesus is showing forth a love there. Now, by no means is that the, even remotely the greatest aspect or the greatest vision of what Jesus' love was. But what you can do is begin to materialize that in your mind. But we come to John 13 now, and Jason read it earlier. Look at verse 31. All of this is done. Jesus has just told that someone will betray him. 
They're sitting and they're eating dinner and he knows it's Judas is going to literally go out and sell him out to his death. He knows he's going to die. All since the, before the foundation of the world, where the Bible says the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world, that's all going to begin to take place now in sequential order of narrative. It's going to happen in just a few hours. And Jesus leaves them with one of his last statements. Verse 31 now of chapter 13. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet little while I am with you, you shall seek me, and, and uh, you shall seek me, and as I said unto you and to the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you a new commandment. I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither thou goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I, whither I go, thou canst not come. You not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Thy cock shall, uh, shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. What's interesting is Jesus says, I'm about to go. And, and the disciples are still not getting it. In John chapter 14, he already had this conversation with them. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and, and where I am I, oh, coming to get you again. And they're like, no, we want to go now. How are we going to follow you? And he said, you'll know the way. How do we know the way? He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He already had this conversation. Now he's reiterating it. says, okay, it's just a little while, children, and I've got to go. And where I go, you cannot come yet. And Peter's like, I want to go now. You can't come now. Why can't I come now? I will, I will literally die right now and go with you. If you're going, I'm going. And Jesus is like, funny you say that. Because as a matter of fact, in a little while, you're going to deny me three times. What I want you to see in all of that is the absolute fickle nature of people, the fickle nature of us complaining who's the greatest, um, thinking we're, we're so much more spiritual than we are, we're so much more dedicated than we are, I'll, I'll die for you, right now I will. And when the rubber meets the road, all of a sudden we become a lot, a lot more self-preserving, uh, a lot less sacrificial, a lot less dedicated. But Jesus says this to them, guys, I'm going, little, he calls them little children, and they are. And by the way, don't be insulted when God calls us that. Number one, I'd love to be called the child of God. But more than that, Solomon said this, and you, you ought to mark this down as, as you and I for the rest of our lives here on earth. He said, I am but a child who doesn't know how to go in or out. If you'll just grab hold of that and realize before God in this world, we're just like children. We have no idea what we're doing. It's when we start thinking we know what we're doing that we mess everything up. I'm just a child, God. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know, have any idea what you want me to do. And, and when you do, I'm still doubting that it can be done because it's me we're talking about. And that's the exact place God wants us to be, like little children. But he says this, little children, I'm going to go, 
And where I go, you can't come. So now I say on this unto you, a new commandment. Now, is this a new commandment? Not really. Not really. When some of the um, accusers of Jesus came and said, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, might, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. He already stated that. But he's giving more further emphasis here, a new commandment, to love one another. Now look, look at the qualifier here. Love one another as I have loved you. And that you love one another. He says it again. Then he says, this is the hallmark of Christianity. This is, the, this is how all men might know that you're my children. My disciples if you have love for one another. Now nobody is stating that people in the world don't have a love for each other at times. They do. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not saying love everybody. I'm saying love everybody as I have loved you. So for us to be able to begin to understand how we ought to love one another, we have to begin to understand how he loved us. Now if you're a born-again believer here, if you're a child of God, if you've called on God to save you, then you had to have come to a realization of how much he loved you, and you had to come to a realization how much you've sinned and how much that sin has violated God and that he loved you anyway and died for you and paid the price that you could be saved. So at the very least, if you got saved this morning, you have at least that understanding of how greatly he loved you. What I want you to begin to think about in your own life is how has he showcased his love for you personally? How has he loved you? Don't give me the cliche stuff. We know through salvation, that's universal, right? If you're saved, we've recognized that. But how has he loved you personally, specifically? We'll talk, we're going to talk some more about the universal showcase of love. But I want you to start personalizing in your mind. How has he loved you? What has he put up concerning you? How much mercy and how much forgiveness has he given you how many blessings has he bestowed upon you when you did not deserve them and and, and then ask yourself this convicting question is that the way you're showing love to others the very notion that god commended his love to us that while we were yet sinners christ died for us it declares us unlovable there's nothing in you or me that Jesus saw in the flesh and said, that, that's a real lovable guy. That's a real lovable lady. No, we'd like to believe that. Oh, yes, I'm very lovable. I only have a few blemishes in my life. No, the reality is we're not lovable in ourselves. The world loves lovable things. Christ loves lovable things and unlovable things. And his love is so demonstrative, it's so demonstrated, it's so obvious. We ask ourselves, is that the way we're showcasing our love to other people? Not just to our family, not just to our church family, not just to our friends, but to the entire world. That all men might know you are my disciples if you have love for one another it burns my heart when i hear 
people say that church is one of the most unlovable places they'd ever been. Now granted, sometimes they're making excuses just so they don't have to come. I get it. But guess what? Sometimes church is the, one of some of the most unlovable places they've ever been. And somehow, the people in church didn't get to realize how Christ loved them, and they're supposed to love others that way. So I want you to begin to explore, and I'm only going to pick out a few attributes of Christ's love. Obviously, we can write, I love when the Bible says if we were to, there's a song, rather, that talks about writing about God's love, and you, if all the ink was in all the oceans, you couldn't exactly write all of God's love for us using all of that ink. And that is true. We never, never, ever could fully detail the love of Christ toward us. But we can pull some of it out. I want you to realize that his love was a very humble love. And we can take from the Christmas story with that. Because Jesus was born in a borrowed manger, right? He was born in a bar. There was no room in the inn. And he went to a cave. And I don't know if you know this, but the manger was not the cave. The manger was the feeding trough in which the animals of the cave would eat. The stable. They didn't, they didn't necessarily have nice barns back then. They would have cutouts in the mountain and put all the sheep in there, put all the animals in there as it's cold at night perhaps or as they sleep. And Mary, having given birth, had nowhere to put the baby because there was no room in the inn. Here is the most important birth of all time. And God, being sovereign and fully in control, could have chosen to be born in an ivory palace, could have been born in some kind of kingdom, in a giant tower somewhere, with all the trumpets of fanfare. But he didn't. He, he chose to come in the most humiliating way, in the most humble of ways, to show forth his love toward us. I love that Philippians 2 says this, that he took upon him the form of a servant. Humble, humble. A lot of times our love is spectacular because we want to be seen for it. Hey, did you see what I did for them? Hello, did you see me? I love them. Do you see all the unlovable friends I have? I am such a loving guy. Now I'm being a little dramatic, but sometimes our love is like the Pharisees' love where they want to be seen of men. Jesus' love was a very humbling love. Could have been born in a kingdom, but became born in Bethlehem. No room in the inn. That's, that's, a, that's the biggest miss of all time. And he winds up dying in a borrowed tomb. We've said this before. Joseph of Arimathea said, bury him in my tomb. And Jesus said, don't worry, I'll be out of there soon. But he didn't even have some kind of king's send-off. Jesus also said it like this. He said that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay His head. His entire life was one full of humility and, I don't, and one full of, of being humble. Though He's the King of kings, He didn't become the King of kings. He didn't become the Savior. He didn't realize itself eventually. He always was. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He was before there was. And His love was such a humble love. 
Not only was it a humble love, but understand this, his love toward us was 100% for the benefit of us. It, it, sure, it brings him glory. Sure, the angels in heaven praise him. Sure, we might praise him when somebody gets saved. But understand this, he didn't have to come and die for us. He could have easily, easily, easily just said, nah. Or how about this? Do you think God knows everything? The answer is yes. So did he know that people were going to sin? Yes. Did he know that the only way for him to save those that sin was through the death of his son? Yes, he knew that. So he knew that the moment he created us was going to lead to the torturous death of his son, and he did it anyway. He still created us. He still created us knowing that there would be a vast majority of people who would reject him, who would spit on his son. And yet he created us anyway. And his, the blood that was shed, having left the throne of heaven to come on earth, was purely for the benefit of us. Purely to win us. Now when we love other people, Here's a tricky one because we don't even know our own hearts. But are we loving other people in a way that is purely for their benefit? Because sometimes through counseling people and talking and valuing my own self, sometimes we love other people because we need them in our lives or we want them in our lives. And so we love them to serve ourselves. It's easy to love other people to serve ourselves with. But Jesus' love was, I will give up everything just for you. Your benefit, our benefit. And the vast majority of the world misses this. Think of how much joy and peace. We talked about peace, and we talked a little bit about joy. Uh, uh, but we talked about peace and joy through the Advent and through the Christmas season. And I mentioned a little while ago the peace and joy that, that often the holiday seasons could bring to people. And think of how much they forfeit by rejecting Christ, by rejecting what Jesus' love for us. We sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's one of the simplest little children's songs, but it's one of the things that we often forget, how much He really does love us, and allow that love to pass our knowledge, the Bible says, allow that love to change us, that we might love one another. So again, we're not done yet, but I want to ask you this. How are you at loving one another as He loved you? Now, you're going to be a work in progress the rest of your life. I don't think anyone's going to come to me and say, I perfectly love others just like Christ loved me. Oh yeah, really? This is a work in progress. But what you need to realize is it's a work in progress. If there's no work being done, and I understand this, the Holy Spirit does the work inside of us. Here's one of the keys to the Christian faith. The fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit means the Spirit works in us and produces His own fruit, which is the one of them, the first one is love. So the Holy Spirit produces that love inside of us. This is not just an act of the will. This is not just an act of desire. This is not just a, a reforming of my life. I think I'll be loving today. No, it's about yielding to God and yielding to the Spirit of God. And in doing so, He makes us more like Him. He makes us more loving. But what we can do today is sit back and 
take an evaluation, take a look at ourselves and say, man, I'm not loving people the way I ought to. I'm not loving the people of this world the way I ought to. I'm not loving my enemies the way I ought to. I'm not showcasing the love of Christ. It ought to be so apparent of how much we love others that they immediately know they must have the love of God in them. That all men might know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So let me ask you these questions. Where should be the most loving place in all the world? It ought to be church. Why? Because everybody there should be filled with the Spirit, or at least every believer there should be filled with the Spirit. And everybody who's filled with the Spirit ought to be showcasing the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And everyone over there had a, ought to have the desire to love one another as Christ loved them. When the minute a visitor walks through the door, the minute someone you don't know walks through the door, the minute someone you do know walks through the door, the minute another member walks through the door, it ought to be this place of how can I show them the love of Christ? You know when God first got a hold of your heart and you felt the love of God and you felt the love of Christ and the, and the yearning for Him and the pull of Him and the work in Him and He saved you and you wanted to serve? That's what other people ought to feel the minute they walk into a church. And often they feel unwelcomed. They feel out of place. They feel judged. They feel missed. means no one even noticed I was there. They feel forgotten. And they feel, man, that may have been my last hope in this day and age, think about this. In this day and age, everything's done online. So nine times out of ten, if somebody's searching for something, they're going to Google it first. If they're finding, if they're empty in their life, they're probably going to try to find answers online or through some virtual group, some Facebook community, some Instagram following through how many likes they got. They're going to find some kind of validation there. But if they're going to walk through church, in this day and age, they're going to walk through church uninvited. That's a huge step. And it's probably a big searching step. And if they got here and they didn't feel like anybody even cared or loved them, they may very well leave here thinking, wow, if there's no hope even with the people who claim God, is there any hope at all? Man, I thought that was my last hope and it didn't work. And I know that people are looking for things in the wrong ways and, and they, they misevaluate things and Satan's going to come and attack their minds even when they're here. I know all that. But it ought to be the most loving place. And I don't mean superficial. I don't mean let's put on fake smiles and fake hugs and let's pretend we're loving but we're really not. I mean... Let's get alone with God and allow God to transform us and to change us and to be more like Him and to love people in such an incredible way that it can't be thought of as fake and that it's real and it's entire and it's of Him because that's how He loved us. No strings attached. That's how it ought to overwhelm people when they come in. Not for our glory, but for His. His was very humble. It was totally of the benefit of the others. It was serving we just talked about Jesus the night before he's going to be crucified, bending down on his knees and washing the nasty feet of the disciples. This past Thursday, um, we were at a passage where uh, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus into his house for dinner, and Jesus went, 
And along with them came a woman of the street who was a sinner, and she was. And she came and she broke an alabaster box uh, to anoint Jesus, and she was crying, and she washed Jesus' feet with her own hair, and she loved him so. And she was someone unworthy. Jesus got on his hands and knees and did the same to his disciples. In a time where they were all dirt roads for the most part, and they wore sandals, and there were camels, and other kinds of livestock, doing who knows what all over the place, nasty feet, and Jesus did it. He was serving. He was serving people, showing love. I want to show you love. I don't want to just say I love you. I want to serve you. I want to be a blessing to you. And, and, and you and I, that's the kind of love we ought to show people. Everyone can say I love you. But can we serve? What does serving mean? Serving means basically devaluing myself for your value. How can I serve you? Not, this is what church serving has been. I'm, and literally, this is what it's become. Look how much of an entertaining performer I am by serving. No. Serving ought to be, I'm doing this for you. Why do you think a lot of churches have transformed into big entertainment venues? Because it hasn't been about serving. It's been about entertaining. It's been about self-promotion. Self it ought to be about serving. How can you serve one another? There's a million ways. There's different gifts. There's different talents. There's different needs of individuals. How can we serve? How, what can we know about someone that we can showcase this love for them? And then ask yourself, are you doing those? And by the way, not to get credit, no one even has to know that you did this for them. That's some of the best ways. We live in a society, no, no, I need to be known. And I get really aggravated if I feel underappreciated, if nobody's knowing. No, 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 let that be for the world. The people of God say, I, I love you because Christ loved me. I don't need to be loved in return. I don't need to be served in return. I don't need to be known. I don't need to be noticed. I'm doing this for you. And you may not even know that I did it. I have a long list of things in my life that I can look back on that somebody did for my, myself, for my family, and I still to this day have no idea who it was. And it's okay if you do know. And it's okay to be thankful and say thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. It was such a blessing. It's okay for that. But it's also okay to do things for people anonymously just to serve them. Serving's not easy, it's hard. Serving often means long hours. Serving often means sacrificing. Serving often means of my resources. It might cost money, it might cost time. I might be here late at night. Uh, one of my favorite times, and this is just to give an example, one of my favorite things to do in church is VBS. And you can ask David and Stephanie, we're sometimes here till one or two in the morning. Now, some of that's just because we're talking. But some of it's because there's a lot to do. That's not to say, look at me, I'm just saying, sometimes it's long. And sometimes the kids are annoying and loud and messy and dirty. Right, Susan, doing all the art? Well, I'm sure. Paint with little kids all week long. Oh, yeah, that'll be great. Tie-dye with little kids, yeah. Snack, oh, yeah, that'll be great. No crumbs anywhere. 
But why are we doing it? To serve little kids. To let them know that Jesus loves them. You know what else Jesus' love was for us? It's fully sacrificial. He literally died for our sins. And I don't know if you know the theological concepts here, and I'll try to make it really, really approachable and understandable. Death only was for, death came in the world only when sin came in the world. It was a consequence of sin. Jesus never sinned, but he became obedient unto death, which was a consequence of sin, which he never did. And he became obedient even to the death of the cross. And here he is washing the disciples' feet. They're arguing. Who's the greatest? He's washing their feet. They don't get it. He says, I want you to love one another. And they're like, why can't we just come with you now? They're missing everything. And it will be no surprise that when he dies, they're like, oh no, we were wrong. And he's like, we've been telling you all along. But the full sacrificial, the full on in. Is there anyone in your life besides your family that you're fully sacrificing for to show them the love of God. I mean, you're going the extra mile. You're doing what Jesus would have done for them. And I don't mean just the cliche WWJD, but I do mean that. Are you showing somebody matchless love? Love that is bizarre. Love that seems odd. Love that's not comprehensible. Is there anyone in your life that that's the kind of love you're showing? Because I'll tell you this, that's the kind of love you're receiving from Jesus. You think of your journey. And you think of some of those impactful people that God used as instruments in your life that made such an impact on your, your life that it changed you. And you said that was, the, that was the love of God in them to me. Right now we're reading a, um, the greatest Christmas pageant ever. Anyone ever read that book or see that movie? Good, nobody except for a few. So it's about a church Christmas pageant. I'm reading it to my kids at night. And the nastiest kids in town come to church. And they come to church because someone told them they were donuts. I mean, these kids are bad. I mean, they burn houses down. They, they're like little kids, they're smoking, they're cursing people out, they steal everything, they break everything. The mom wants nothing to do with them, so she's always working. The dad got on a train and left and never came back. These kids are bad news. And they're so bad that they threaten people, and so when the tryouts of the play come, none of the church kids want to be in the play because someone threatened them and says, I'm going to be Mary, not you, and if you're going to be Mary, I'll kill you. That kind of deal. And then the explanation starts coming about, wait, who is Mary? And who are the shepherds? And these kids, now, understandably, there's a lot of different depths in the story. It's kind of short, but nobody wants the kids in church. But these kids have never heard about Christ before. But the director, who happens to be the mom of the narrator, she says, you know what? We're just going to go with it. And it's going to change their lives forever because they sacrificed for these kids who were really bad. I'm just leaving it in a nutshell like that rather than go through the whole story. 
they're sacrificing for kids that are really bad. I love when anyone walks in off the street to try to find God and God's people love them even if they're really bad. Christ died for the really bad. You are the really bad. Do you know that? We like to pretend, oh no. Remember this always. We never want, I don't care if you agree with this or not, you do agree with this, I'm telling you you do. We never want church just to be a country club where only the elite are welcome. We want it to be a hospital where all the sick are welcome. The spiritually needing, those on a journey, those who feel lost, those who feel broken. We sacrifice. Now, understandably, there's a difference between church membership and all that other stuff, but I'm saying in church, in hearing the preaching, and feeling the love, it ought to be, come as you are, we love you because that's how Christ loves me. We ought to showcase that. Do you know who the most loving person in all the world ought to be? You, if you're a believer. You. You ought to change people's lives by just how much you love them because that's how much Christ loved you. Do you know why we love God? Because he first loved us. Do you know why these kids, the Herdmans, uh, in that story, don't know the love of God? Because how are they going to know the love of God unless they see it in somebody else? We have an opportunity to love other people as Christ loved them. They may not come to the Bible. We might be the only Bible they ever read. So they need to see what the Bible looks like in real life. Yes, we're a mess, and yes, we mess this up all the time. Yes, we're a bunch of sinners who mess it up and, 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 and kind of spoil Jesus' name because of our, our lack of, of faithfulness at times. But I'm telling you this right now. What an opportunity in this world of craziness and hurt and confusion to showcase a special love the same way that Christ loved us when we were undesirable and unlovable and, and he sacrificed for us. We have that opportunity to say to the world right here, we love you. As, and I'm going to love you as Christ loved you. Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. Again, I can't answer this question for you. Only you can. And we have different personality types. And we have different, some are outgoing. Some are, are more introverted. Some are, are super gift givers. Some are super thoughtful. Some are super creative. Use whatever it is to showcase that love. But I'm telling you this right now. If we're not the most loving people we know, not for self-credit, but if we're not a bunch of the most loving people we know, shame on us. And if our church is not filled with loving people who are genuine, shame on us. Yes, we fail all the time. And this is not just a showcase for the unbeliever, by the way. I, I won't ask for a raise of hand. But I wonder if there's anybody in this church who's been here for quite some time and still feels unloved by people or still feels they don't belong or still feels like something's wrong. Sometimes we miss loving people that walk with us every week because we're so focused on loving the new people too that we miss loving the people right next to us. Not always about the shiny new objects because we hurt too. We ought to showcase this love. Infinite love, matchless love. The love that passes knowledge. And why? Because we're a recipient of that love. And if I'm going to be a recipient of that love, then I need to be a great giver of that love. No one should ever doubt that you genuinely love them. 
Remember this also. This will go a long way in your life. All that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the kind of love that we have. And that's the kind of love that we ought to show. I'm not going anywhere. I know your ugly part. And I'm not going anywhere. I love you. That would transform a church. You know why? Because we all hide our uglies. Because we're afraid if other people knew our uglies, they wouldn't stay by our side. But if we had that mindset, I'm not going anywhere even through all your uglies. That's what Christ does. That's what we ought to do too. I love you infinitely. Let me read the passage and then we'll be done. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You shall seek me. And I says, I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, <clears throat> that ye love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. <clears throat> if we were to follow you around, and the world was to convict you of, in a court of law, and declare you a Christian or not, based on your love for others, would you be found guilty of being a Christian or would you not? Because it says, here's the litmus, that all men might know you're my disciples. So if we followed you and we found you loving like Christ, we'd say, yes, Christian. And I understand this is not infallible. I'm just giving you an example. Or would we follow you around and say, no, I don't think so. They're not loving at all like Christ said. That all men might know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So we receive and we get a glimpse of how he loved us. And we start to materialize that and apply it and say, okay, in action now. That's how I want to love others. Not superficially, but genuinely, like he did. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. This is one of those services where you just get this little nugget, and you just go home with this one thing. It's not a shotgun message of a thousand applications. It's one thing. And you ought to take that one thing, and you ought to meditate on it, and you ought to mull over it, you ought to think through it, are you loving others as he loved you? And if not, there's work to do, friend. And maybe you love a whole lot of people like he loved you. But what about those few people that you refuse to love? Or sometimes there's people groups. You're like, nope, I don't love anybody in that people group. No, no, no. Jesus is no respecter of persons for God so loved the world. Doesn't mean he condones everything out in the world, but he loves the world. How about you, friend? With everyone's head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask in reverse order as I normally do. <clears throat> if you're here today and you would say, Pastor Jason, I'm going to be honest with you today. I am not loving others in the way that Christ wants me to love them, and God's convicted my heart today. And there's some decisions I need to make concerning that. Would you quietly raise your hand? I'm not, I've not been loving people the way I ought to. I see hands, I see hands, I see hands. Yeah, hands, hands. Yep, hands. I've not been loving others as I ought to, and God spoke to me about that. Anybody else has not raised their hand and says, that's me today. Okay, God bless you. I see your hand too in your hand. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody in your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? I've not been loving others as I ought to be. Let me ask you this question right now. If you died today, 
Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Maybe you've been here for a while. Maybe you're new here. Maybe this is your first time here. Jesus loves us in such a way that he died for us. He died for you. He knows everything you've done. And he still loves you. Would you receive him today? If you say, Pastor Jason, I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die. Would you please pray for me? I promise I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But can I pray for you? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Please pray for me. Would you quietly raise your hand? Anyone like that today? God bless you. Let's stand together. The piano is going to play. If you would like to come and pray about something or confess something to the Lord or if God's convicted your heart about something or maybe you just realize some things in your life and you want to come speak to God, why don't you step out of your seat and come? Make that a habit. Make it a habit to talk to God. Just step out of your seat and come. God, I need to be more loving. How about you? People have come. How about you? What do I pray? I don't know. Talk to God. I always like to think of myself as loving, and then God reminds me of a bunch of things. And I'm like, yep. Yep, messed that one up again. Sometimes my selfishness gets the best of me, or my pride, or my attitude, my laziness. I want to be the most loving person you've ever met, for Christ's sake, not for, your, not for my knowledge's sake, but for Christ's sake. And I hope you have that same desire. I hope you want to be the most loving person that anyone's ever met, for Christ's sake, and for obedience's sake. The only way that's going to happen is as we yield to the Spirit of God and allow the God, Spirit of God to work in and through us. But some 2,000 years ago when He came to earth to take upon flesh and then become obedient to the cross, it was for love. The love for us. Man. We are so undeserving of that. You know one of my favorite things in church? When someone comes in who feels they're not deserving of God's love and they finally get it and they realize, wow, God does love me. It transforms their life. I love when people know they're unlovable and they realize that God loves them still. Oh, it's one of my favorite times. Because friend, in all of your filth, you're still loved. God will help us. God will clean us up. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time. We just pray now that as we walk this life, that we would be the most loving. As you loved us, we would love others. And Father, fix us where we've, we've been wrong. Lord, alter our understanding when our, when our love has been just fleshly and superficial when it's just been like the world, when it's just been we love those who love us, fix us in that. Forgive us of that, Lord. I confess my unlovingness to others before you today, Lord, in times where maybe I've gotten aggravated or short or, or just lazy and complacent. I confess that to you, Lord. I want to be more loving, and I need the Spirit of God to work through me more to make me more loving. That all men might know that we are your disciples. We have love for one another. 
Lord, I saw many hands raised, and you know the hearts and the hands. And Lord, I pray that you'd work in everybody's life here to be more like you. I pray that our church would be the most loving place anyone's ever come to for your glory, for your name's sake. Lord, I pray, Father, for those that are not sure they're going to heaven, I pray that they would call on you to save them. I pray you bless the refreshments, bless the food, bless our day. May we walk in your love today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.